Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the second edition of uh, the, <laughs> the the blockchain journey that we've been on. It started last week, and uh, we basically looked at a broad, you know, look at blockchain technology in its various use cases in Zimbabwe, you know, why it hasn't taken off in Zimbabwe, et cetera. And today, and as promised last week, or was it the week before, um, is a more focused discussion on the use cases of, of blockchain just beyond, you know, what people think blockchain is, which is basically money. Uh, money is part of it, but cryptocurrencies and blockchain are used in various other, you know, areas and fields. And today I'm joined yet again by Prosper Mwenzi, a financial services lawyer and blockchain analyst uh, based in the UK. Hi, Prosper. Hi, uh, good to come up and meet with you again uh, on this second episode uh, on uh, blockchain technology. Uh, and I'm glad to uh, come up and talk to you again. Thanks for coming. Yeah, uh, thanks for sparing the time. I know I can get annoying when I say I want to talk to an expert when it comes to things like this. Uh, but you are the closest expert I know, so <laughs> it's on you. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Right. So let's let's start with use cases. So the first the first use case that everybody knows is blockchain as or blockchain technology or cryptocurrencies as money. So our Bitcoin, Ethereum, how they're trading towards the the, the US dollar, etc. So that's that's the simplest one. So is that it's termed as de- decentralized finance, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Uh, so we, we, decentralized finance is this new um, area getting carved out of uh, the, the this token economy. Uh, and what they are trying to do is, uh, or what they've already done, because uh, most of them are already in production, uh, these platforms, uh, they've uh, tried to replicate everything that happens in, uh, in legacy finance, which uh, they refer to as TradFi. Uh, so that's traditional finance, or you hear the other name, SAFI, which is centralized finance. Uh, so they've tried to unpack it and make it decentralized. So the same concept which uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies run on, uh, but you are then looking at it being repackaged into different products like uh, insurance, uh, and then you've got um, investment element with decentralized exchanges where you don't need to uh, do KYC. Uh, all, all you do is interact from your wallet uh, direct onto the exchange. So it doesn't use the order book. Uh, you are doing everything you could do on, an, on a centralized exchange but from your wallet, which takes away some of the risks, uh, like an exchange getting hacked uh, because you are in charge of all your assets. You are simply interacting with the decentralized exchange or DEX simply to perform a task at that point. And the moment you finish that task, you are disengaging from the platform and uh, maybe you are exchanging one token for another or you are trading derivatives. So you, you simply do that uh, from your wallet rather than from logging into an exchange. So it's quite an interesting area which will take away some of the security risks. And especially when you hear of platforms disappearing on people uh, that kind of situation where people get scammed because they've sent their assets and they're kept on a centralized exchange. 
the exchange goes down for one reason or another, sometimes genuinely because they've been hacked, but in other cases because uh, the owners of the platform have decided to make a runner with people's funds. So it takes away that kind of risk and it also preserves privacy. So that means you are simply interacting with the technology from your wallet. Nobody uh, is able to uh, invade into your privacy. You are not going to give out your personal data, which means the risk of your personal data ending up uh, being, you know, resurfacing on the dark web uh, because people, the centralized exchanges, they frequently get hacked. Sometimes they don't get hacked for funds but they get hacked for data. Uh, so you end up with data being sold on the dark web, uh, your, your ID documents and all that. So uh, this, this kind of uh, decentralized finance uh, is meant to overcome those problems. Uh, but what I think is the biggest, biggest winner for this kind of technology is that uh, it's opening up markets uh, from places where you couldn't access these markets. Uh, if you are in uh, Africa, for example, uh, you may want to trade markets which are based in the US, uh, or you may want to just take part in what is going on globally on, on, on the financial uh, infrastructure side of things. Uh, but there are limitations because of your geographical location. These platforms are required to comply with uh, so many rules uh, there's so much bureaucracy, uh, but because of this decentralized finance, you are able to take part in that ecosystem without uh, having to jump through a lot of barriers. It's basically a uniform system of transacting um, across the globe because it's it's within the blockchain. So it kind of removes that red tape that we saw where, you know, uh, my, my usual example is, is, is swift transfers where it's bouncing around from, from different countries. Now it's their fewest failure points of, of where that can happen and improve security because, like you said, the blockchain is, is very difficult to, 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 to hack or, or, or invade. So in, in, like I think with, with each sort of use case, we can then look at Africa and Zimbabwe to be more specific. Now we know Zimbabwe and finance or money is just a nightmare. So if something like this was to, imp- to be implemented in Zimbabwe, what sort of things would we be taking off the table as problems or concerns that we had previously? we are presently actually uh i think one of the big concerns at the moment is that people have lost trust in the financial system uh they've uh lost money many times uh with sometimes all of a sudden you know overnight you hear that uh we've moved from U.S. dollar to Zimbabwean dollar, and then we've gone back to U.S. dollar again. And in those transactions, it's a case of which side uh, are you on? If you are on the wrong side, you lose money by simply being on the wrong side when that transaction happens, where things change overnight. So I think the benefit which this uh, decentralized technology uh, or the decentralized finance ecosystem brings is uh, it gives people more choices uh, because at the center of these uh, stable coins. So when people think of uh, cryptocurrencies, they think of the volatile side of it. Uh, mm-hmm. They only think about Bitcoin and Ethereum assets, which move in value up or down. Uh, but at the center of this are stable coins as well. 
Uh, I think uh, the U.S. Uh, Treasury uh, Secretary, or no, the Fed uh, Chairman, I think Paul, uh, is just announced today that uh, they are going to take a closer look at stable coins because stable coins, what they are, is a variant of fiat. Uh, they are pegged, some of them, uh, depending on what backs them. The majority of them, the bigger ones like USDT, known as Tether, and USDC, uh, issued by SECO, uh, they are backed by um, some assets, Most of some of them being US dollars. Uh, some of them, uh, I think uh, Tether got caught up in a storm recently because uh, most of their backing is what is called commercial paper, which is kind of they, they've... Uh, they are lending the funds to someone else and making money out of it. Uh, so they are backing it with uh, that kind of uh, instrument. And it is a bit risky, uh, but they are there, the stable coins. They are the, at the center of this ecosystem. They can help you hold your value. So if you can migrate your assets from being in physical form and put them on the blockchain, you can preserve value by holding stable coins because you simply change from volatile assets into a stable coin. Uh, these stable coins, they are more useful in that uh, they can you can do transactions uh, without much problems like w- what we face right now. I've been speaking to a lot of uh, small businesses who are unable to make payments abroad because uh, the financial system, so long the moment you you put in that you are transacting from Zimbabwe, you get excluded because they are concerned about the risk breaching uh, U.S. sanctions. So because of that, they don't allow you to interact with their platforms. So for small businesses, they can't pay uh, goods. They can't pay for goods abroad. They can't import uh, what they want to bring in for raw materials or for even technology, paying for adverts on places like Google uh, or on, on 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 Facebook. If you want to advertise on there using paid adverts, uh, this ecosystem will bypass that. It will enable people to do those transactions without uh, being censored by institutions who are gatekeepers at the moment. So I, I, I see it as a as a big, big uh, opportunity uh, for small businesses, not only for small businesses, but even for international trade, because that means you can trade with other partners without much, uh, much barriers, because all they need is a blockchain wallet and you can pay them and they can pay you and the transaction goes through. Mm. It's, it's kind of like... Um... When I was thinking about, you know, the, the informal sector in rural areas where banking services might not be so universally distributed, you know, since in Zimbabwe, EcoCash is kind of sort of makes close to as near as makes no difference to, 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 to blockchain or to cryptocurrency, that it's just the same sort of system or, we, or the same layer, but with, with a different name. So for using Bitcoin, it'll just be called Bitcoin instead of EcoCash. So like you said last week, we are, our, our, our learning curve will be shallower and, even in terms of opening up for e-commerce that's blooming now, it'll also open up industries in rural areas. I remember you mentioned last week, it'll be easier to pay someone for tomatoes, for example, if you're in in the UK, let's say you're in London and and your your mother wants 
you know, or someone in, in, in locally wants, wants tomatoes that are sourced from, from a farmer. You can make that transaction directly from you to the farmer and the farmer can then do the delivery system. So there's, there's not that, oh, we need to wait for a bank transfer for this or we need to wait for this uh, to clear because as soon as you have um, the, 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 the funds in your wallet, it's, 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 it's an easy transaction and that could help bloom business in, in rural areas and make them, you know, sort of, I guess, you know, um, satellite cities, the whole dream of satellite cities that we had when they said Norton, Stungis are going to grow into these, you know, massive economic satellite cities, but that hasn't been seen. And I think one of that is, is one of the issues that has stopped it is probably the current issues we've had. So do you think blockchain, you know, since we're already used to EcoCash could possibly help the growth of other um, hubs? I, I think so. Uh, I think it will be quite, quite useful. And the other big advantage, I think, which is there is that some accounts, if a bank account, for example, it would cost you some money to maintain it. Uh, if you have money which you are not prepared to use any time uh, whilst it's sitting in the bank account, you are paying bank charges uh, and blockchain wallets uh, take away this uh, this red tap. Uh, it means you are not going to pay anything unless you are transacting where you pay the network fees. So it could be, I think it could be a game changer. And if you also think about it, uh, it's not only about the local economy, but you are also talking about regional economy, uh, making payments to places like South Africa, uh, making payments to Botswana, making payments even to Nigeria. Uh, that becomes a possibility because you are using assets which are more common uh, than our local currency because if you've got dollars and you want to I mean Zimbabwean dollar and you want to pay someone who is abroad you are being forced to have to uh, exchange it into US dollar first because no one accepts our currency so this uh, could help because it means you are not going to have to face all those challenges uh, and also, if you take advantage of the exchanges, because yeah, uh, you you could you could actually grow uh, your funds as well uh, if you are holding them over a longer period of time. Uh, but also, maybe another thing I should mention about this decentralized finance ecosystem uh, is the ability to um, do what is called farming. Uh, I know when people hear of farming, they they think about our usual farming, but this one is a digital farming way, <laughs> mm. which has just been uh, created in the past few years. Uh, it's taken off uh, a lot. So what you are doing with this farming is you are putting in your assets uh, and you are gaining more uh, by putting them on platforms where this kind of activities farm is is a permitted, so you are locking them in and you get rewards, uh, maybe in a different token to what you've put in, uh, and uh, you 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 grow your assets in that way. So they they've coined that phrase for farming, and it's taken off a lot in the past year. I think uh, with time it, it will become more 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 and more developed and more interesting and also with stable coins you can gain interest on your stable coins which is 
possibly better than uh, having your dollars just held up in a in an account. With this, you can hold your your your, your stable coin. You can gain interest as high as around twenty percent, depending on which platform you are using. So it's quite an interesting development, really. Mm. Interesting. And I actually wanted, when you said farming, I actually wanted to move on to the, to the second, well, it brought the second use case to my mind, which is supply chain. Now, this is something that I have recently discovered because after our last conversation, I realized just how much I didn't know about cryptos and blockchain technology. So like, you know, let me just look up, you know, the, the, the use case. So interestingly enough, there's a company, um, that started a, um, uh, blockchain technology registry. Uh, in Zimbabwe, I forgot the name of the company, um, but those are some of the things that are valuable in in the, in the in the supply chain. So, for example, in Zimbabwe, like products coming from Zimbabwe are reputable, but not all products are reputable. You need to have, you know, links or connections with one person or another to be able to get into foreign markets. But with blockchain technology, like the, the briefest I've seen is that if you can, for example, log vaccination dates, if you can log quality of meat, health, growth you know, medical records for, 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 for livestock, for example, as in the case that's, that's happening now. And you present mm-hmm. that to, you know, people who might want to, you know, buy it from abroad. They then know that, oh, no, you went through all these steps and it's secure. You can't alter it. Uh, obviously, there'll be physical backups if they do need them. But this just, doesn't that make that more attractive? And what other uses can this, you know, in making the supply chain even better using blockchain technology in Zimbabwe? Yeah, the supply chain case is quite a strong use case. Uh, there is a project called VChain right now, uh, which is partnered with, uh, I think it's called Walmart. Uh, what they are doing is because there are a lot of fake goods which come from China, uh, they can replicate, uh, you know, Nike shoes. And when you look at it, you won't be able to even tell the difference with a, with a, with a genuine Nike. But the only difference would be that uh, it's not been made by it's not the official um, it's not the official merchandise for for Nike. Uh, so they have built up this system which can track uh, even food supplies. Uh, it can track clothes. It can track drugs because that's the other big problem you see with the drugs industry. If someone supplies you paracetamol you have no way of knowing that the paracetamol which you have been given uh, is uh, actually safe for use and approved for use by humans. So they have this ecosystem which they have developed, which is now involving big companies like DHL uh, for tracking their parcels when they are in transit uh, so that you know exactly where your parcels are and uh, you know the source where they've come from uh so they are doing the same thing uh yeah for for food so like you've said you can track they can start um for Walmart they were saying for all the suppliers for their green stuff you know the green 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 uh, vegetables and all that mm. you will need to now sign up onto their platform where they are tracking by blockchain uh, they are saying it's a good way of managing outbreaks like salmonella, for example. Yeah. If there's an outbreak and it's being logged on the blockchain where the source of the food is, they can quickly shut down that channel uh, without having to have a lot of wastage. Because if they don't know 
where the food or where the contamination is starting from, they will have to throw away everything or test everything they have. Uh, and if some of it has already been packaged, they are going to open things which are already packaged. But when they are using blockchain, they are saying it will make it easier for them to pin down the source where this is coming from, which then means uh, if they do that, they will be able to shut down that channel which is supplying them quickly and without causing much inconvenience for, uh, for, for their consumers. So supply chain, yeah, big, big, real big deal. I think this kind of stuff can even work for us because if we are going to supply uh, meat, for example, beef uh, and export it abroad, uh, having that uh, assurance of where that has come from uh, is going to be good for com- consumers because uh, you, you, you have issues like even uh, use of child labor in manufacture of some of these things. Uh, and if they know exactly where the, the goods are coming from or where the food is coming from, they will know a bit of background information whether child labor is a major problem in those parts of the world. And if it is, they can decide not to buy it from there uh, because that is giving information to the consumer of exactly where the food they are eating is coming from. So uh, it, it is a game changer. But you, you also have other use cases like um, voting, for example. Uh, I remember reading about U.S. states where they are allowing uh, military personnel who are serving abroad to vote on the blockchain because they may not be able to come home, uh, but they can get registered on a on a system and they do their voting uh, using blockchain technology. So uh, in that way, it ensures that uh, you are not going to have the same person voting twice because they have their identity credentials uh, verified. And uh, you also avoid the problems of counting because if you know uh, if the information is there, they voted on the blockchain, they choose who they are voting for at the end, or the election results get tallied and calculated because the results will be there on the blockchain. So it avoids other bureaucratic processes as well. But I think uh, for on-use cases, where I think uh, we could be going uh, for, for us, what will benefit us more land registry so that mm-hmm. people can show land ownership uh, using a transparent system where if someone is trying to sell land to you, you're not going to get defrauded because you can go and check on the blockchain who the current owner is uh, and all the other owners who previously owned that piece of land. Uh, you can have that information verifiable uh, which will mean those problems which we've seen where now uh, houses are getting knocked down because people didn't have the permissions for building on there uh, or they didn't even own the land where they've built on. Uh, So all those kind of problems can be solved by uh, this kind of system. And uh, I I, I think, you know, Victor, uh, if I talk about Victor's startup, uh, which is FTX, I think, no, uh, FlexTX, uh, they are building 
uh, ID solutions on the blockchain. So if you can think of it, if you have land records and combined with ID uh, you know, solutions on the blockchain and someone is able to link their ID with the land, uh, it can unlock a lot of benefits in the economy. It means if you are going to borrow, uh, you can easily get collateral because the third party who is willing to give you a loan can verify independently that you are actually the owner of land. Uh, which means you can unlock a lot of value in the economy. If you are a farmer, for example, who is looking for finance to finance, uh, you know, farming your crops, uh, so that you can, you can, you can, you can then have a good harvest, uh, but you don't have the capital for the inputs. Someone who can verify your ID, uh, and who can verify that you actually own the land can be prepared to secure the assets, their the funds which they are making available against your land. Uh, and when you finally get a good harvest, you then pay back and uh, they can get that information removed on your record easily. Uh, so it, it, it kind of unlocks a lot of potential. It unlocks a lot of value in the economy. If you have a house, you want to borrow, you want to take out a loan, they can verify you easily. They can secure the funds which they are making available to you. Uh, they, they can secure them against your property. So I think this is huge. And you can also link it to vehicle registration databases. You know who the driver and owner of a vehicle is. Uh, you can. You, there's so much potential uh, which can be built around this technology. Uh, it's like a supercomputer. Very much so. Uh, for reference, when you mentioned Victor, it was Victor Mapunga, who's the CEO of uh, Flex TX. It's a local startup, blockchain startup that uh, they, they were what? They were finalists in the World Economic Forum's um, emerging, uh, emerging Technologies competition this year. Uh, one of the very few, and just for reference, companies like, I think it's Spotify and Twitter, started out there in, in the early 2000s in that same sort of accelerator. So it's yeah. they, they, their work is being recognized because it's it's filling a massive need that exists. Groundbreaking, very much so. Because if we take like we're just saying, if we take away the identification process when they're putting it on the blockchain, it just gives the person who owns the ID so much control over it. It's no longer something that is centralized; it's something that you own. But the beauty of it is that it's verifiable. So across any other, you know, um, if someone wants to check up on it, they can easily do it. It's difficult to alter. And I think it can be yeah. applied with various technologies across, you know, uh, feature phones or whatnot, um, to make sure that everyone has a, a, a copy of their of their identity. And hopefully, it comes to Zimbabwe soon enough, or, or Victor can get it um, uh, to, uh, to Zimbabwe. Because the last I checked, it was uh, the, the the program was open, but I think that they're still going through through some tests, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, that's that's big. But I actually wanted to go back to what you said about voting, um, and that is. But that's one of those things worldwide we've seen recently with the United States election saying that it was it, it, it was rigged or Biden, whatever um, Trump was saying about Biden stealing the election. That's a massive thing because that's that's a use case I hadn't seen. And to be honest, <laughs> uh, when, I was doing my, when I was doing my rough research, but I think that that removes the discrepancy or the discrepancies that we see. Uh, from elections and you know contested elections and, and and whatever. So do you think in 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 a reality where the blockchain is running elections, we can see quote unquote free and fair elections? I think it can go a long way in doing that. 
because if you combine it eventually with ID, digital ID solutions, that means you take away the problem of people having, uh, you know, someone voting who shouldn't be voting or ghost voters, as mm. people would like to call them. You can get away from that problem uh, because if uh, if someone uh, is already verified, they already have an ID. Only them can vote because if they are using their ID credentials uh, in using encryption. Uh, and the same technology we see now for moving digital assets like Bitcoin, the same technology can be applied to secure your identity. Uh, and when it, it can be verified that you are the only one who is able to use it, uh, it, it will take away a lot of problems. I think Russia, uh, was using, um, they used, um, Waves blockchain recently, uh, for voting. I, I'm not sure how far the extent uh, of its use has been, but they've used the blockchain to vote in their most recent elections. So it's already gaining traction uh, and getting adopted even even in Russia, you see. So it, it is um, a, a strong use case. Uh, and because the, the, the data can be verified, uh, I, I think this is the way to go, especially for African uh, and emerging democracies where there is always problems for for with, with election rigging and all that. Uh, it, it, it will exonerate the parties if they haven't rigged, and it will also give assurance to the public that everything uh, has been done and it's been done above board. But like any technology, uh, it needs to be properly supervised and monitored uh, on, 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 on deployment to make sure it doesn't get compromised because it may still get compromised. Uh, but uh, I think uh, it would be far much difficult if uh, you are deploying solutions like that. Uh, and now I think one of the bigger use cases, which is also coming up, uh, is uh, central bank digital currencies. Uh, this is becoming a big, big thing now uh, with nearly every central bank uh, trying to launch a central bank digital currency because of the benefits they will get from that as well. In terms of transparency and efficiency, uh, they can target certain parts uh, in terms of locations uh, and, and increase money supply. If you know there's little money supply in Gweru, you can move in to balance that off quickly uh, without even having people move around with cash. Uh, and then you've got the efficiency in terms of not printing money because it costs us money when we print money. money yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a strange. Uh, and I think in our case, uh, I've had rumor, I, I can't verify this, but I've heard that some of our money was getting printed in Germany. Uh, I'm not sure how, how true is that. Uh, but uh, wherever we are printing it, even if we are printing it locally, we are still going to incur some costs. And then not only that, when this money gets damaged through tear and wear, we have to replace it. And uh, it's costing us even more money to maintain the money we are using to pay. So uh, a digital currency, you know, will cure all these problems uh, and it will give more tools. Uh, it will give transparency. 
the public will know exactly when money supply has been increased because they will check it on the blockchain. They will know this year, this month, the Reserve Bank has issued uh, a further 100 million and they will be able to hold them to account to ask questions where this money supply is going and how it's being used. Uh, If you look at the budgets allocations for the ministries, you could easily see a wallet for the Minister of Finance, how much they've been allocating to other ministries. Uh, You can see how those funds have been dispensed and uh, whether they still have money or not. Uh, So it can be useful uh, if that can be adopted uh, because it will bring a lot of transparency and efficiency in the system. So I added up another uh, use case there, but we were meant to be only talking about uh, uh, about voting systems. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, it's good to have strong. a because it, it then gives a, a nice a nice contrast to be like, um, and I think they both fall under the same sort of umbrella of accountability. Um, so you know, governments have to account. The government has to account for itself. The money disperses. The money it it increases. It it introduces into the into in, in circulation, etc. Uh, also, uh, when you're speaking about the allocation that the Ministry of Finance gives, I was also curious about would this then, you know, show us what what monies are given to, for example, local authorities, uh, member of parliaments for 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 development funds, how that money is used uh, in easy trackable way for the general public to be able to see what how the, how their taxpayer dollars etc are being used um, on 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 a local, on a provincial, and on a, on a national level. Exactly, because that means uh, you can see, uh, you may not see who has been paid uh, by the local authority, but you know they've paid a certain amount to something else. So mm-hmm. you can you can actually check that, and you'll be able to track whether they are they've gone out of budget or whether they have been allocated enough funds. So that means they don't have to come out to to defend themselves if they are saying well, we haven't been allocated enough money because that information will be sitting there on chain for anyone to uh, scrutinize and look at it. So it, it is, uh, yeah, it is quite powerful. There are a lot of tools which can be deployed uh, using this technology, a lot of data which can be generated through various, uh, you know, analytical uh, technologies you can incorporate in there, like bots, which can monitor when high value funds move. Uh, like for example, we've had situations where I remember when the new, uh, when the new dollar was allocated, we were seeing images of people holding massive bundles of money in their private cars before the money was even in circulation for everyone. So things like that. If you it's on chain, if the data is on chain, you will know maybe CBZ has been allocated one billion out of that one billion. It's already left. It's now in private citizens' wallets, uh, and it's moving. It's being you can you can track that information. It would give the central bank a lot of power, a lot of uh, you know real time data. Uh, for things like, uh, if, if, if cash is being ordered by a few parties, they will know straight away that, you know, there is uh, a movement of cash, which is unusual going on because it will all be happening live on chain.
And all, this also helps the government with revenue collection, if I'm not mistaken, that the 2% tax they put on, on, on all transactions to tax the informal sector would pretty much be obsolete when it, when, when it's now on the blockchain. Because everyone who's now doing high volume or high value transactions as a private entity or as a private company would now need to account, okay, where are you? Where, why is this inflow coming? We're now imposing, you know, this tax on you to make sure that, you know, you're, you're as, as the professor Matilinube said, contributing to the economy. So it, how, how, um, how actionable is that? Let's say the, the, the RBZ, you know, perfect reality. The RBZ says, we're going to, we're going to start this. How quickly could they be able to, to, to get all this up and running? Well, what I've always thought, uh, I've, I've already floated this idea of a, a blockchain commissioned nationally. So like we do with Ethereum now, uh, it's, it's, it's accessible globally, but there's nothing to stop uh, the government from commissioning a national blockchain for Zimbabwe only. Uh, if you commission a blockchain like that, you can issue your currency on there you can determine the governance at the time of building the platform. Uh, when you when you when you build the blockchain, you can specify what amounts will trigger revenue collections, and you can automate that revenue collection through smart contracts. The moment someone moves the value of uh, a central bank issued digital currency, straight away the tax gets deducted from simply making that uh, transaction without even asking questions. So if it's a 2% tax, for example, you can tax it the moment it moves. You don't even need to speak to anyone to uh, authorize for them to authorize it because it's law. Everyone knows they have to pay tax. So Mm. if uh, that happens, uh, that happens straight away. And also for monitoring, it means... Uh, the revenue authority can monitor uh, all companies. They can see uh, what their revenue has been. Uh, the, 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 I think this is what is going to happen in China because mm-hmm. they they've deployed their central bank digital currency. Uh, I, I, sadly, I think it's going to take a lot of privacy away from people. But uh, for the government, it's going to bring in more efficiency in tax collection more efficiency in uh, targeting crime, uh, money laundering, and all that. Uh, It's going to bring a lot of uh, benefits, but it requires to be responsible. It requires uh, whoever is commissioning it to be more responsible. Because if you look at it, if the government commissions this blockchain, they can have these land records, many other platforms. you You can build on top of that blockchain, uh, decentralized applications. You can have uh, ministries and trusted entities running the nodes for confirming transactions on the blockchain. And you have trusted parties. They are not going to get compromised, uh, but the nodes are distributed in a way that you don't have a central point of failure. Uh, no one can attack it uh, provided uh, you have enough nodes distributed. Uh, and you can do all these digital identities. You can uh, end up with people being able to have applications on top of it for accessing essential public services without having to invest uh, a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, and you secure the data 
effectively as well. So wallets can be built on top of this blockchain for private sector entities. They can run their businesses uh, on top of this blockchain by uh, using, you know, it, it, it is a, a smart way of digitizing the economy. And it actually speaks to what the government has been saying all these years about we want to move to digital currencies, we want to pe- people to use, you know, plastic money and paperless money, which is kind of, you know, contradictory when, uh, you, uh, so for all those who aren't aware, Prosper was also on the, one of the people who consulted the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe when it came to the fintech sandbox. So when he says he floated the idea, he was one of the few people who were who was actually giving them tips and pointers on how to approach this. Unfortunately, they didn't um, listen, which they don't usually do. Uh, but it would, be, it would have been excruciatingly beneficial had they uh, for us, especially in this uncertainty we have. Um, so I, I wanted to go back to, to to businesses themselves. So you said China was um, China's moving towards a uh, um, a central bank digital currency and it's going to take away privacy now it like any sort of technology is a double-edged sword right um it can be yeah. used for good and can be used for bad uh it's just who wields it and and how that how that happens so in a zimbabwe in a zimbabwe situation how would we be able to see in terms of you know uh protecting our privacy etc when it's being used for bad um you know and not being overshadowed by the convenience it gives us yeah, I think that that is where the problem can be. Uh, it probably would require uh, some so, some sort of accountability on a different level. Uh, maybe having some independent uh, organizations which uh, try to ensure that people's rights are being respected. But what I, I, I see is if it's used mainly for good, I think the benefits uh, are going to outweigh uh, you know, the, the disadvantages. Uh, I know, yeah, privacy is a big, big thing, but, uh, if you are unable to, um, to, to, to get things as basic as, uh, passports and all that, uh, you probably find out that you are prepared to, uh, sacrifice a little bit of your freedom, uh, to be able to access these kind of services. And when they become digitized, uh, they become a little bit easier to deliver and manage because uh, if you take, for example, the uh, authority which issues passports, if they have their infrastructure digitized, uh, people would be able to make these applications uh, online uh, and they will be able to, rather than going and queuing for a passport. I was reading an article uh, earlier on which was saying that uh, they are still 300,000 uh, women who don't have any IDs. Uh, I, I was surprised by that. You know, they don't have birth certificates. Uh, so if you think about that, 300,000 people with no birth certificates, they are struggling now to get them. Uh, but if this, if they can get digital IDs, uh, this could go a long way in enabling them to access some of the public services uh, and so give a lot of data uh, for um, you know things like census, for example. Uh, you can then able be able to compare your census records with what you are holding uh, on 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 these uh, systems. So I, I think you know it, it is a double-edged sword, uh, and in China, I think it's a it's a it's a downward slope. Uh, I think it will impact 
but people still have a choice of using the digital currency or mm. using the physical currency because I don't think you can completely get 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 rid of cash because uh, uh, because uh, you know you, you still have some transactions where you really need to use cash. Yeah, true that. And then you mentioned smart contracts, which you touched on last week. Um, so I, I went digging, obviously, because I was like, you know, I can't move into this conversation again. Uh, so I saw smart contracts. And the, the best explanation I got was if Prosper sells me a car and he delivers the car or, you know, we, we wait until I finish the payments to then get the car. The 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 contract is only executable or the, the code that runs the contract is only executable once all the payments have been made. If it lapses a period, let's say Prosma gave me two months to pay up the money and it doesn't, my money is immediately reversed to my, to my account. I have not met the stipulations of that contract. So, and I was looking at the enforceability of it because when we were talking last week, I was looking at, yeah, these are very enforceable because you can bring them up as actual, they're, they're like paper contracts, but, you know, without the paper. Um, so I wanted you to, to, to just tell me a little bit more about uh, smart contracts and their applications are uh, adding on to what you, what you said last week. Yeah, we, we, with smart contracts, it's a fairly uh, interesting development in the past few years. Uh, I think uh, it emerged out of Ethereum. Uh, because what the tokens which are issued on Ethereum, effectively, they use smart contracts to issue them. Uh, so uh, it's the smart contract which regulates what is going on, what is happening uh, when you move from, from your wallet to the next wallet. It's actually a smart contract which is getting executed. Uh, but I think uh, they they have uh, some more more widespread and more interesting use cases uh, when you look at, for example, uh, Ethereum, I mean, not Ethereum, uh, if you look at insurance industry, uh, where you take, uh, for example, life assurance, if you have a party like the registrar general who registers all the beds and debts, uh, you set up a smart contract, which will say, when a death happens for the person who has got an insurance policy with them, the moment the registrar general issues a death certificate, that triggers a smart contract for paying out on your life insurance. That means you are not going to go to the registrar general yourself, get a death certificate, go to the insurer, get stuck in lengthy processes uh, with a lot of bureaucracy for uh, getting that death certificate verified eventually that the person is actually dead. Uh, You are simply going to have it verified by an independent party. They issue a death certificate. The smart contract triggers from that uh, and your beneficiaries from the life insurance policy gets paid out straight away. So you can see how that is a very a very practical way in which these technologies could be deployed, especially for uh, you know countries with uh, good financial services where nearly everyone would have life insurance. It would take away a lot of 
bureaucratic processes. It will require, it will reduce the number of administrative staff you will need to be involved in that process. And it will also take away uh, the, the, the requirement to uh, have this person who is insured go around uh, to get all this documentation. Uh, it will streamline these processes and let the businesses concentrate on more stuff like maybe gaining more business. So rather than having more executives who are processing these claims, you are going to have uh, more of those people redeployed to market your business and gain more uh, business coming through the door. So yes, smart smart contracts, uh, they hold a, a, a huge potential. And here in the UK where I'm based, uh, they are now recognized in law in the same way as uh, a usual contract uh, because uh, all it is is rather than going to your lawyer and they draft a contract uh, on paper, uh, it's an execu- executed, I mean, executable contract written in code. So there is the, another downside. We lawyers may end up being made redundant because <laughs> contract will replace us. <laughs> yeah, true, true. And I think the same is it's the same for accountants because at some point there'll be an algorithm that you know will be able to. Yeah, work exactly. Uh, that distributed ledger you see, it's a uh, because the, that, that's the real name for blockchain technology. We call it blockchain because that's the catchy word. Uh, yeah. But the full name is distributed ledger technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could automate your accountant's ledger. Uh, you don't need the accountant to come and balance off the figures because the ledger balances itself off. Uh, at the end of the day, it will tell you what your expenditure has been, what your income has been. Uh, so it, it's kind of like that. I think even auditing firms, they are coming to look at solutions based on blockchain for conducting auditing. Uh, and, uh, there are exciting times ahead as, uh, more, more developments, you know, as more people research this industry, uh, and discover, uh, new, new use cases and new, um, new ways of doing things more efficiently. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe the, maybe the other thing I should mention is also in, uh, artist royalties. Uh, you've heard of the NFTs exploding yeah. now, uh, and the benefits they can bring, uh, because, uh, it is more or less the same as the normal tokens, uh, in the market now, but these mm-hmm. ones are a bit, uh, unique in that, uh, they can make a piece of art more unique uh if uh you you issue your your record for example as an nft uh only the person who uh can who has the uh, private keys will be able to access it and play it so uh you are looking at uh, artists who draw uh, uh drawings uh they can you know make it into an nft uh whatever they've drawn and they can sell it off and it becomes the only existing uh, genuine piece of art. Whereas if it's on paper, someone can replicate it uh, and uh, copy it or, or reprint it or do whatever they want. But this will give you the genuine version of it. Uh, 
it, it also is being used for distribution of the royalties. So if you uh, have royalties, that means you can easily manage your royalties because uh, they are all, it can be traced on the blockchain. Uh, whoever the new owner is, uh, if you are supposed to be paid new royalties, then automatically that process is triggered. You can check uh, the data and you can see if it matches up. Uh, so huge potential also in gaming. Uh, there's a new craze which is going on i don't know if you've catched uh, on it uh of virtual reality uh there's uh this platform uh well there are quite a, a few of them coming up there's this platform called mana land or decentraland uh where you can go in anything we are doing out here uh you can buy a piece of land in that game in that platform mm-hmm virtual reality and you will be surprised because some pieces of land on there are selling for millions people are paying three million for a piece of yeah. virtual land yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so 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 what they've done, tried to do is what we have out here they've replicated it virtually mm. uh, and you actually have people running stores in the virtual, uh, this virtual game, virtual land. Uh, you've got people who own banks in there. You've got people who own music cinemas, or, I mean, music theaters, uh, or video theaters, uh, anything you want to do. So someone will buy a, a big chunk of land for three million and they start to, uh, auction it off in small pieces to make more money. Uh, and it's all virtual. Yeah, you know what? I, I I struggle to understand NFTs. I was like, you know what? NFTs are not my thing. I understand them for music royalties, especially in some way, you know, um, piracy is a big problem, especially like people distributing albums on WhatsApp, downloading from torrents and things like that. Um, so I, I can see them in that respect where, you know, if you, if you get an album, for example, you know, a secure it or, or download it in whatever form, uh, once having paid for it, because th- I think that's the, the way that most Zimbabwean artists tend to make their money is um you know distribution through their own fan base instead of going through the the, the the normal avenues i know that now they're streaming services and whatever but i think it can be beneficial for them if they could if they could sell directly to their people and if the people would be able to like um to pirate it and share it across uh across platforms uh, and he actually stole that that was the last one i, was, I wanted to ask you about was, was was royalties and 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 music uh, because last uh, last week we had uh, Plot Marco, he broke the Nash TV contract story, and he was basically giving me the the you know, ins and outs of the music industry when it comes to um um you know how Zimbabwean artists are compensated, etc. So even blockchain itself, because right now as per his description, if you have a, a YouTube channel, or whatever, as, as an artist, it's not necessarily financially managed by you or your team. They're intermediary companies in other countries that have, you know, uh, the payment systems that work in order to to receive the revenue from YouTube, and then you know you then get it or whichever service you they, get it. There is two offers or in the middle. Yeah, they take their they take their percentage. They take their their, their cut. There was it five or ten, whatever percentage it is. Uh, and you, you know, cryptocurrencies and blockchain would then just streamline that process straight from the distributor or the platform directly to the the artist without any need of of of, of any intermediaries. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, if you see, you would have noticed uh, that Jack Dorsey has developed a, a, a big interest uh, in this space. Uh, they've, uh, I, I know he's a Bitcoin Bitcoin maximalist. 
he only believes in Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> NFTs are happening on Ethereum and he is seeing value in it. Uh, they've partnered, uh, well, Square, the company which he owns, uh, has partnered with uh, Tidal. Well, they actually acquired Tidal. Okay. Tidal was owned by Jay-Z and Jay-Z has joined the board for Square now. Uh, he's part of Square now uh, because they are looking at uh, enabling uh, artists to realize uh, more uh, of their revenue rather than paying these third-party companies. Uh, they are trying to streamline that process and make artists realize you know, their revenue uh, without having to lose most of it through management uh, arrangements. So uh, it's becoming a a real big deal. Um, And I I, I think as time progresses, uh, it's going to grow even bigger, Uh, which which even means um, for for our economies where we haven't allowed this technology, uh, we are not going to see it develop at the same pace as it is going to develop elsewhere. Uh, We have to wait a little bit longer until... Um, we we get to a point where we are comfortable with using it. Mm, definitely, definitely. Prosper, thank you very much for your time. Um, we will be back next week with part three, which will be looking at cryptocurrency, blockchain technology startups in Africa and the work they've done. And hopefully on that episode, Victor uh, will join us uh, to explain his work in um, in uh, creating uh, blockchain IDs and technology. Uh, and, and secure identification. Thank you very much, Prosper, for your time and for your insights. I'm learning a bit more about uh, blockchain technology and cryptos as we go along. It's, it's, it's quite enriching. Yeah, it is a very, very wide area. Uh, even myself, I still get to find out about new use cases which are coming up. Uh, it's an area which is sweeping through every industry. Uh, I haven't seen an industry yet which hasn't been disrupted by uh, blockchain technology. Uh, and I think as time progresses, we will start to see uh, more ca- use cases which are, you know, more uh, useful in our circumstances. Uh, and yeah, it was a pleasure coming here and speaking to you again, Valentine. Hopefully uh, you have a good one. Yeah, you too. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and we will see you uh, next week around about the same time on Wednesday. <laughs> Cheers. All right.